0: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, this is Heart of the Matter. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We welcome you. No matter what religion you come from, your beliefs, whoever you are, we're grateful you're here with us and we pray that we can have a good time tonight. I want to give you a report on Heart in the Home in Wellsville, Utah last night. The first Heart in the Home in Cache Valley. It was a dynamic success. Uh, Lucy and C. opened up their home. It was a wonderful experience. We had uh, people flowing in for the four hours. The Harold, uh, uh, Logan Harold, came in and did an interview. It's going to run an article on Thursday of this week about um, Born Again Mormon and our whole ministry. And I just want to thank them and everybody who was there. A shout out to everybody who attended and if you want to also do a heart in the home, have us come out and sit and talk with your uh, Christian friends or LDS friends and neighbors, just go to our website, email us, and we'll set that up. People uh, Frequently people ask us, how can we help the ministry? And let me give you a few suggestions for whatever it's worth. First, tell your friends and neighbors about the show. You can go to the website, go on Getting Involved, and click on the flyer. You can just Print that thing up, photocopy it, cut it in half, and put it on your friends' doors. Tell them about the show. And that is what's opening people's eyes to uh, uh, the LDS Church relative to Mormon, uh, biblical Christianity. You can pray for revival in Utah. Pray for v- our viewership. Pray for the ministry. Those prayers mean more than anything else. And you can ask your pastor if we can come out and speak at your church. We've done that before. We've done it in uh, Orem. We've done it at... Um, Uh, The Rock, we've done it at many different churches, and it's a wonderful experience, and so we're open to do that. It doesn't cost you anything. Uh, Pastor, can take some time off, and we'll get up there and and take and, and talk. The first printing of Born Again Mormon is almost gone. I mentioned that last week. Uh, the next edition is going to have, unfortunately, page numbers, larger print, look like a reputable book. But the first edition is going. If you want one of those, email us at www.bornagainmormon.com and you can get that there. Uh, we hope you do. Remember Heart in the Park 2007 070707 Sugarhouse Park, a little bit of Hank Williams, some Patsy Cline, some Johnny Cash, some great music, some great uh, speaking and great fellowship. Just We know we're not going to tell you about it now, but just 070707. Make sure you're in town and bring your LDS family and friends for a great time of fellowship. No pressure. Church Scouts, they went to a great church. It's Southeast Baptist Church at 1700 East. Fort Union Boulevards. that's 7,000 South, I think that's how you say it, and uh, it's senior pastor Mike Gray, and the church scouts were very impressed with a number of things. One, they said there was a brass band there that was really good, and then they said it's you can be very casual, or you can dress up in a suit and tie if you feel more comfortable in dressing up uh, for the Lord when you go to worship Him, fine, you can do that there too. They have sign language for the deaf. Uh, which is uh, added value. I know many other churches do that as well. So that's Southeast Baptist Church, our church recommendation for the week. Uh, Idaho viewers, the Nampa Civic Center, Sunday, February 11th at 7 p.m. They've rented that convention center out. We're gonna be there. We uh, look forward to meeting all of you from Idaho and let's have a word of prayer. Uh, Dear Lord, we thank you and we ask you to step in And uh, have me say what you want me to say. Bless our viewers here and uh, behind the, best our people behind the cameras and our operators and everybody at home and just help us to get to know you better in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I described Joseph Smith's father in some detail. I painted a picture of a man who would not embrace organized religion. He was a universalist at heart who believed everybody would be saved. Uh, he was waiting for the true church of Jesus Christ to be restored back to the earth, a kind of a restorationist movement. And uh, the Smith family believed that it was going to come through the Smiths, especially a salesmith, the grandfather of Joseph Smith, the prophet. Uh, he had a bit of a battle with the alcohol for a while, it seemed, and a penchant for spending not a little time on things of magic and searching for treasure uh, out in the uh, woods, which a number of people did through magic stones and rods and visions. And uh, We also mentioned that he was a dreamer whose dreams even made themselves into the Book of Mormon, at least part of it, according to the chronology that Lucy gives us in her bio- uh, biography, uh, Lucy Max Smith Biographical Sketches. Tonight we're going to look at another influence on the boy prophet, even his mother, Lucy Mack, or Lucy Mack Smith, she became known after she married Joseph's father. Now, there's a lot more information on Lucy Mack Smith uh, than this father. I'm merely going to give you a background on what I believe uh, ha- helped her influence her son. You know, I understand that. That's why I emphasize that. It's what I think, after reading the things I've read, I'm not an expert, but what I think helped contribute to the makeup of this person that we know as the Prophet Joseph Smith in the LDS Church. Um, of, over the course, course of the year, I will step back and I'll add other things about her life, where she is, if she, when she passes away, uh, different things like that, but now I'm just going to kind of give you some background. There are differences of opinions in the scholars and the historians when they write about Lucy Max Smith, uh, whether her marriage was harmonious or not. Uh, Dan Vogel and Hill says that it wasn't harmonious. And Bushman, who is LDS, in fact, a friend of mine reminded me today that uh, he's not only just LDS, he's a patriarch and, and out of Columbia, uh, I think is a professor emeritus. And he says that their, their marriage was uh, harmonious. So you're going to have different views on that. But all three of the biographers agree that they um, had friction in their marriage over religion. And that's really the important thing to consider when you're looking at the parental makeup, the marriage of Joseph Smith's family, and I'll explain to that as we go along. Like many of you, and like Joseph Smith Jr., I know from firsthand experience what it's like to grow up in a home where you have a religiously dedicated mother and you have a father who is a little bit more religiously liberal. And there's a certain dynamic that occurs in a person as they're growing up when their father is uh, liberal in church and when the mother is much more strict. And you can imagine the dynamic. The mom wants to go to church on Sunday. She's got to get all the kids ready. She's dragging them to church and the father's out, you know, putzing around in the garage or going fishing or something. That dynamic creates a certain makeup in a child. and And I think that that is what happened with Joseph Smith. The point is to get you to try to imagine how that relationship would affect a person. And then try to look, and I know it's conjecture, but try to look and apply what you know and what you learn to the makeup of the Prophet Joseph Smith, and then to apply those to possibly why he did some of the things he did, said some of the things he said, etc. From the beginning, life was very hard on Lucy Mack. In writing about her existence, she spoke primarily about illness and death. Bushman writes that Lucy measured her early years, quote, early years, not by happy friendships and childish adventures, but by deaths and illnesses. So she had a very difficult young life. This took a toll on her emotional health. At age of 19, she wrote, I quote, I was pensive and melancholy, and often in my reflections, I thought life was not worth possessing. So uh, some of you in the audience may have had or have suicidal Uh, ideations may think of that. Lucy Max Smith had those as well at a point in time in her life. I don't mean to infer that Lucy was without God. He came from a family that was devout in their uh, religious devotions. Her eldest brother, Jason, became a preacher when he was 21 years old after he sought spiritual gifts outside of the official church. He was kind of a, a nomad, kind of a wanderer when it came to religion. He, outside of the whole context of a proper Christian church. He became a preacher. And in fact, he established a religious commune in Canada. This was Joseph Smith's uh, mother's brother. Lucy was accustomed to religious differences in her home as her own mother and father uh, seemed to bear the same faith traits that she and her husband Joseph Sr. possessed. So Lucy grew up in a home where her mother was very devout and her father was not. And then she married into a home where she was more devout toward organized religion and God and her husband was not. Lucy's mother Lydia, who was a Calvinist, was raised in a deacon's house, joined the congregational church at 30 years of age and then married, uh, married husband Solomon who at that time spent his day and days in failed searches for wealth. All right. Like the Smith family, Lucy would someday join through marriage where Lucy would someday join through marriage. Solomon Mack, her father, was a um, universalist until he came to understand who Jesus was. He believed that everybody would be saved. And again, I think that plays into the overall theme of Mormonism, where everybody essentially is going to be saved, being that the, the free gift is resurrection through Jesus Christ's atonement. Lucy attributes all the religious piety within her to her mother, however, who at a minimum ensured that her family had daily prayer twice in their home. Lucy's similar dedication to religious practices would greatly influence her own brood later on, including Joseph Smith. At 19, and possibly in response to the to the depression that she was in, Lucy said in her biographical sketches, I quote, in the midst of anxiety of my mind, I determined to obtain that which I had heard spoken of from the pulpit, a change of heart. Now, this is important, that phrase, the change of heart, because you won't find it in a biblical text. You don't find any phrase, uh, the mighty change or change of heart in the Bible. However, you do see that phrase used by Joseph Smith in his writings and in the Book of Mormon, also used by Lucy Mack Smith to describe what happens when a person changes through a dedication or through a a reborn, rebirth experience through God I find that interesting Lucy goes on to say quote I spent much of my time in reading the Bible and praying nevertheless she was afraid to join any single denomination for fear of offending another as she devoted as devoted as she was to religious practices Lucy did maintain an attitude that was shared by her husband and the rest of the Smith family alright she said listen to this quote if I remain a member of no church, all religious people will say, I am of the world. And if I join some one of, them, one of the different denominations, all the rest will say, I am an error. No church will admit that I am right except the one with which I'm associated. All right. So at first glance, this seems like the onus of the problem in the Christian world was on the sex fighting with each other, and that they were the ones battling, and Lucy stood back and said, I don't know which one to join. If I join this one, the others will say I'm all wrong. If I don't, don't join any of them, then they'll all say I'm of the world and I can't win. But listen to that quote again carefully, and I think it gives some insight into her makeup as a person. If I remain a member of no church, all religious people will say I am of the world. And if I join some of a different denomination, all the rest will say I am in error. No church will admit that I am right, except the one with which I'm associated. Several dominant personality traits come out in Lucy Max Smith's biography. And I think that um, the most pressing is that she had an overwhelming obsession to be pleasing to God. And she had a desire also to maintain a certain level of social... Uh, respect among her neighbors. She wanted respect from those neighbors. She didn't like it when they looked down on her family because they were poor or because they lost uh, money and she was religiously inclined. And I think that it's telling in that quote because she says that all the rest will say this and all these people will say this about me and they'll say this. She was very concerned about what people thought about her. And that's a normal thing for for most people, especially women, they they care about what people say, especially mothers and, and their families. These traits carried over into her marriage with Joseph Smith Sr. There's an LGS psychologist, who, his name is C. Jess Grosbeck, and he wrote, quote, An overriding theme that emerges from Lucy Mack's biography is perfectionism and moralism surrounding a religious quest that was part of an attempt to save and heal her husband. All right? With a history of New England Puritan leanings, a Calvinist mother who raised her, and bouts with anxiety and depression, Lucy was primed for a life of religious obsession and everything that that entails. So remember from last week, we talked about what Joseph Sr. was like, and he came from a similar background, but had a different reaction to it. She too came from, and I think it was a common thing to be obsessed with religion at that time, but the product of their specific relationship contributed greatly to Joseph. After marrying Joseph Smith Sr. and giving birth to three children, Lucy uh, Max Smith now got very, very sick. Some people thought they called it consumption. They think it could have been pneumonia. Some uh, writers have even suggested that it was a nervous breakdown they say that simply because of what her quotes are and listen to what she said about it i continued to grow weaker and weaker until i could barely endure a footfall on the floor except in a stocking foot and no one was allowed to speak in the room above a whisper she sounded like she was terribly fragile in this state from either the illness or whatever had happened. And a Methodist exhorter or a Methodist preacher came to her house and asked her if she was ready to die. This was before Joseph Smith was born. And she said, "'I knew not the ways of Christ. "'Besides there appeared a dark and lonely chasm "'between myself and the Savior, which I dared not pass.'" and as she lay there in bed she contemplated her death and she thought by quote straining toward the light which i knew just beyond the gloomy veil before me that i could discover if i strained at the light i could discover a faint glimmer of heaven and she thought that if she really strained she could see heaven beyond she was a very visionary type woman So that same night, she goes to God and she begs and she covenants with him because everyone thought she was going to die. And she says, quote, if he would let me live, I would endeavor to get that religion that would enable me to serve him right, whether that would enable me to serve him right, whether it was in the Bible or whether it might be found, even if it was obtained by heaven, by prayer and faith. So what she said there is, I prayed to God and said, if you let me live, I will spend my life finding that true religion. Whether it's in this Bible or not, I will find that if you let me live. And she heard a voice speak to her, an audible voice from heaven that said, Seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be open to you. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And her recovery began immediately. In this recitation of Lucy's own words, we learn that Joseph Smith's mother was unsure of her salvation even as she laid at death's door, even though she had had plenty of religious experience and training as a young girl. She was visionary to the point of being able to see a faint glimmer of light from heaven by straining there on her sick bed. She was willing to embrace religion, even one found outside of the authority of the Bible, if it would enable her to, quote, serve God right. And she spent her entire life looking, or not entire life, but she spent most of her life looking for that religion. And she received an audible communication from God. All right. This is the mother of Joseph Smith. And, and the type of gifting, spiritual gifting she believed she possessed into the heavens. All of these events were well-established, as I said, before Joseph was born. So how do you choose to view these factual portraits? Now, I know they're not complete, and I mentioned to some guys today that I met with that I'm presenting the side of Mormon history that you don't typically hear. Now, I know the stuff with Emma, you hear it a little bit more often in church, but. I mean, not Emma with uh, Lucy Mack, but I present the side that you don't often hear to offset the sugar-coated single position side that you always hear in church. So if you're LDS, I'm trying to show you a side that you don't get when you just go to a Sunday school class or a priesthood meeting and hear it taught. I'm not pretending to say I know how these things factually measure up, but I am trying to say that I think they will give us good, a good idea of what the makeup was of Joseph Smith and his family. And in addition to her religious makeup of, and moralism, Lucy Mack Smith was, like her husband Joseph Sr. and like her son Joseph Jr., uh, visionary and prophetic. She was a dreamer. And in fact, in 1803 or 1804, she was greatly troubled by her husband's resistance to join a church. She wanted them to join a church, and and he refused to. And she had a dream where there's two trees and they're blowing in the wind. And she woke up and she interpreted this dream to believe that the wind was the the truth, the spirit of God, and that the one tree which was immovable was her brother-in-law, Jesse, who he refused to hear the truth, truth, And on the other tree, which moved and blew in the wind, was her husband, uh, Joseph Sr., and that he would someday embrace the gospel. I think it's very telling that when Joseph Smith established the true church back on the earth, that uh, he wept greatly. He, He wept emotionally at the fact that his father was baptized into this church that he established. And I think it met a lot of unfulfilled needs that were going on in the Smith family with regard to religion. With a father as a stubborn universalist and a nagging habit for a bit of drink and magic and a mother who secretly covenanted with God to spend her days searching for the true religion, the family was in need of something no less than a religious savior. In these conditions, Joseph Smith was born, was born as it were, and he became a prime candidate, all those things included that we talked about last week, as becoming the savior for the family and for the religions of the world. Jesus obviously hadn't done it for the Smith couple, Joseph Sr. and Lucy Mack. He he didn't come in and give them that, Uh, regenerative experience that would have sufficed in a a normal relationship. So they sought elsewhere for something more. Religion couldn't heal them. All it brought was division in their family. Something had to be done, and it seemed like Joseph Smith Jr. came at a time and in certain circumstances that was going to provide that. And in a sense, I believe he made himself their savior. So to speak, that's going to make some of you mad, but I don't mean it literally in the sense of that. And it's not surprising that the, I think it's the Broome County Courier on December 29th, 1831, actually referred to Joseph Smith as the second Messiah. So, that all plays into the thing that he was going to do for the Christian church. I propose that the Book of Mormon and the establishment of the church, in part, was a response to the immediate needs of Joseph Smith's own family. I think that the announcement of seeing a vision of the Lord fit well into the psychological makeup of the mother, and I think that the announcement of this vision uh, that all the churches were wrong pleased the father. So, Joseph Smith goes to a grove of trees to pray, and while he's in that grove of trees, he has a vision and he he sees God and then God tells him none of the churches were true. The mother would have completely resonated to Joseph having a vision of seeing God and the father would have completely resonated to God saying none of the churches were true. So he satisfied both needs by doing that. I think that the announcement of uh, buried gold plates gave the family future hope. It gave them something to look for. It fit right in the paradigm of the father going out and searching for gold himself. It, uh, um, and indeed, uh, Lucy Max Smith's prayer of getting that religion, whether it is in the Bible or outside of it, would be fulfilled. I want you to also know that Lucy, uh, when she. Um She went to a grove of trees to pray. And that's mentioned in her uh, autobiography that she went to this grove of trees. And it's fitting that the first vision also occurred in a grove of trees. And there's a number of similarities on that that I won't go into. We're going to open up the phone lines at 801-973-TV20, 973-8820. And uh, I would like to say something about uh, the caller's if you could be a first-time caller, it would be greatly appreciated. If you've called before and talked on the phone, then please hold back your comments. But if you're a first-time caller, uh, we'd love to hear from you, unless you have something that is just so pressing. Also, make sure to try to have your questions uh, Taper down to something that you can hear in five or ten seconds or, and then we can go on and discuss it and then move along to the next call. It'll open it up for everybody else. As we're waiting for the operators to go through those calls, I've been getting a lot of emails lately and uh, some say that um, we need to edit the callers. Some are saying that uh, we need to make sure our operators are cutting off the ones that aren't really that interesting or that we need to make sure that every caller only speaks on the topic that we have tonight. And I refuse to do that because every time I tune into a call-in show where they you have to talk about that topic, I find myself getting bored. So if the callers have something they want to say outside of what I've presented for information tonight, it's fine with me and we're probably going to always keep it that way to answer those emails we've gotten on that topic. Additionally, uh, we got uh, somebody on the blog posted this uh, looks like today that volumes have been written against Joseph Smith to disprove the mission of the prophet and the church. And um, why don't you present what you are for Instead of what you are against, the LDS Church, its members and 60,000 missionaries are spending their time and efforts building up the kingdom of God. Why are you guys doing differently? And there's a thousand reasons for that. Uh, one is because the LDS Church spends so much time building up, uh, they don't give you the straight shot. And so we're trying to give more of the straight shot, and get it out there on television. And uh, also we do preach what we stand for. We have a, a show called The Infallible Word that you can tune into on 930 at night on Mondays. at night on Fridays, and we teach just the Bible exegetically, uh, a a good sound, verse-by-verse, hermeneutic on what's going on in the Bible. It has nothing to do with Mormonism. So we do do that, but this is just part of what we do because I was LDS, and I want to share what I found in the Bible and how it changed my life with our audience. Okay, we're going to Cody, uh, line two, first-time caller. Cody, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Cody, how you doing?
1: Good, how are you?
0: I'm doing well
2: it's good you're on buddy
1: yes i have a question for you that uh
2: i kind of wonder about i wonder um how did
1: emma feel about polygamy is that it what did she i mean did she?
0: we're going to cover we're going to spend a couple weeks on polygamy uh we're going to refer to todd compton's and sacred loneliness which is an excellent book we're going to uh, refer to a number of other resources. But in a nutshell, uh, Emma was pretty sharp. She kind of just acted like it didn't happen. There's a few instances, they think, where uh, she kind of caught Joseph in a bedroom with another woman in the house and uh, kicked her down the stairs or there, br- brushed her out with the broom. There's stories like that. I'm not sure how reliable they are and, because memory doesn't serve. But we'll find that out, and we'll discuss that when it comes to polygamy. But bottom line... Um, after he had practiced it for years and then said, you know, I can find no other wife but one, you know, a complete blatant lie about all his extracurricular uh, marital practices, Um, I think Emma kind of took that same uh, motif on, and when he was assassinated, uh, I think she was like, he didn't have any other wives. I know no one else who's going to do it. I kind of think if my memory serves in the readings, that's kind of how she approached it. I know she was not for polygamy. I think at one time she gave in a little bit to wanting to do it. And uh, not wanting to do it, but saying, okay, Joseph, you can have one wife or something like that. And then it just backfired. She couldn't take it, and understandably so, and it fell apart. And there's a quote from Joseph to his brother that you don't know Emma like I know Emma. The brother wanted to share this with him and say, look at this great thing. And Joseph was like, no, you don't get it. She's not going to respond the way you think. And we'll cover all that with real good quotes and good uh, backup. Does that help? That's great.
3: Appreciate
0: it. Okay, man, take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Yachty, or Yodi, uh, first-time caller from Salt Lake on Line 3. Yachty. No, Yogi. Yogi. Yeah. How you
4: doing, Yogi? Fine. How about yourself? I'm doing well. What's going on? Uh, I've been listening to your program, and I appreciate what you said because it's very interesting. But there's something, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but I guess you have. Probably not. No, you probably have. I give you credit for that. Uh, I grew up in the same circumstances as what you're talking about, where my uh, father was less active and my mom potentially became less active because she wanted to support my father and all that sort of thing. So usually when people in a family like that, that's usually what happens. One parent, if they're active, then the other one becomes inactive or vice versa, or it causes but in the case of my situation, my dad was Catholic, my mom was LDS, and she ended up going more toward the Catholic way, to please my father, to keep the family unity together. Huh. So that's one scenario. Anyway. Who named you Yogi? You know, I'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> this is going to be a long call. you got to get to it. What else? Anyway, the point I'm getting at, that's very beneficial, I think, because for me, it helped me find religion and all that because there wasn't anybody there to tell me, "Well, you do this, okay, do that, and all that." What did you discover? No, let me. I'm you, I get more detail.
0: I can't let you get in detail. We got to keep it moving, Yogi. Okay, I will. What did you discover?
4: What I discovered was the Holy Ghost. Like my brother passed away and I was really feeling depressed. I hadn't known what death was, and the Holy Ghost came to me and let me know that everything would be okay. Awesome. And I would uh, see my you know, brother again and all that. And basically said, be happy because, therefore, you know, you will see him again through the, you know, because of the promise the Father made and the Holy Ghost, which, you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Anyway, the Holy Ghost came and let me know.
0: That's awesome, Yogi. uh, We're going to keep it moving. We appreciate your uh, insights and talk, and we'll keep it going. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to uh, Bernie on line 4. Bernie, first-time caller from Salt Lake. You're on Heart of the Matter.
2: Uh, hi, Sean. I appreciate you taking my call. My question is uh, uh, I've always been confused with the fact that, they, that the LDS people claim that the uh, Indian people are the lost tribe, when yet I've run across a program that that picked up my attention that DNA-wise that's not factual. Uh, do you find that the same?
0: Yeah, I find it the same. Uh, The DNA, they have a lot of different answers and possible conclusions, and uh, uh, it's not a settled deal, but uh, it certainly seems like DNA is uh, another proof that uh, Mormonism, at least the Book of Mormon, was fictitious. It's really fun to go back in old, uh, not even that old, 1950s, 60s library materials and look at the things they would present to the kids in primary about the golden plates, you know. And they'd yeah. show the American Indians and everything was all about the whole thing. And now that the DNA stuff's coming out, I think they're backtracking. i like to see what the new pictures show. Yeah, Somebody in China or something, Mongolia. I
2: know from genetics that uh, the Mongolian bruise, what they call it, is something that happens with children that are Asiatic and uh, uh, I have, even my children have showed the Mongolian bruise knowing that we have that ancestry in our family as well. Would you but, say, the uh, Mongolian what? It's called a Mongolian bruise. Bruise? It's a little bruise that they get on their, but- the back of their, their uh, buttocks when they're born. Wow. And children that are Mongolian have that.
0: Wow, you just taught me something great. I never knew that. Well,
2: I, I appreciate that. You've taught me a lot. I appreciate... Do all Mongolian... And, uh, I ask the Lord to bless you. Say,
0: hey, do all Mongolian children have a bruise on their butt when they're born? And that was a lot of bees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do they? Okay. I guess you can't hear me. All right. Thanks so much, brother. Thank you so much. Same to you. Bye-bye. God bless. If anyone knows that, just mention that. That's really interesting. I love stuff like that. Okay. Let's go to David. Uh, first-time caller on line two from South Jordan. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. David? You got to turn your television off, brother.
1: Okay. Hi, Sean.
0: Hi. How
2: you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Hey, a special shout-out to you there, sir. Thank you.
0: Reverse hey. shout-out.
2: Okay. Hey, I just got a quick cl- a comment and then a question. Okay. So the word talks about do not add or take away and that, you know, I'm just kind of summarizing, and that do not add or take away and that, um, uh, that the word... If it is not of his word that is a form of witchcraft, right? Somewhere throughout, that's that's sort of a summary, right?
0: Okay. Yeah.
2: Okay. So my question is, sorry, I had to run upstairs and get away from the TV. Um, the question is, uh, is you know, it's just a question of uh, you know, not driven to any direction. Just more, I just want to know: is do you think is Mormonism is it a form of witchcraft and a cult? I mean, I just don't understand if. What do you think? Or I know you know. But
0: what- yeah, what I think is I don't believe it's a, a form of witchcraft. I think that it, it just depends on how you answer. If there, there are things that are of God and there's things that are not. Things that are of God are his and things that are not are of this world and of a different force. You could look at it in that way. And in that sense, I would say it is of a different force. But I would also say that there are many things that are of those forces, and I don't think that it necessarily taps into, uh, you know, Wicca or any uh, uh, sorcery directly. And I I don't think all those, um, you know, Ed Decker type of... uh, illusions that hey man you know in the temple they're wearing pointed hats with stars on them and wands and I just don't all this stuff I just don't see it and the day-to-day people that I meet who are LDS I just don't see them involved in that kind of thing and I I don't think it's there but it does have a lot of uh, origins a lot of part of its origins come from some of that type of stuff and so you might draw you know similarities there but as far as this blanket they're of witchcraft no
2: no right well, you know, I really appreciate your show. I started watching it about a month ago, and I try to rush home. I get home close to eight just to catch it. So I just want you to know that your show is really fantastic. It catches my attention. I think you're driving down the path of where it's, it's just a good move. And I really appreciate your show, and we'll continue to watch.
0: Thanks so much, brother.
2: Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Hey, I want to say something about witchcraft really quick. It just came to my mind. Did you know that the word uh, for sorcery in the, uh, in the scriptures, is, in the Greek, is pharmakeia? And, uh, that the, uh, and we get the word pharmacy from that. And so if you have a problem with drugs... Especially, and I know, especially like a methamphetamine. If you have a, you are dabbling in pharmakeia, which the Bible calls sorcery. And those drugs have a, have an ability to bring things into your life that are not of God. And it's just a side issue here, but I, for some reason I feel it's important to tell you that you can't dabble in that stuff, even if that you can, even if you can kind of. Uh, rationalize doing it, or you're depressed, or you're feeling something, you need to take some kind of thing to soothe yourself, understand you're dabbling in an area that is very destructive. And I lost an older brother to pharmakeia, and I know what it does to people's lives. We get the emails and stuff all the time. So as enticing as it is, and how it it does not affect your salvation, if you know the Lord, uh, it will destroy your life. And you you take your life and you put it under the power of something that's dark when you do it. And the scriptures in the Greek are evident of that. So be careful. All right, we're going to Michael, first, uh, second time caller on line one. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Turn off your TV. Just turn it down so you can still see me, but <laughs> I'm
1: just Hello, Sean?
0: Hey you're on Michael
1: okay listen I called you last week I'm from Boston the one with the crazy accent
0: all right you're back right.
1: hey listen I, I want to make this uh, real quick I, I know he was talking about uh, Joseph Smith and he went into the grove and he saw God you know and I guess they say that he saw uh, God the Father and God the Son is that right they do in one version yeah okay anyways I, I just I'm gonna run through this real quick Um First, I wanted to say that um, the book uh, of of Saint John 1:18 says, "No man has seen God at any time." Um, First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse uh, 16 says, "Who only has immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting." First John uh, 4:12 says, "No man has seen God at any time." Exodus Uh, 22:3. What's that?
0: I just had to throw it in there. Exodus 22,
1: 3. Yeah, I have that written down right here in front of me. Exodus uh, 33, where Moses, it says Moses spoke to God face-to-face as a man speaketh unto a friend. And so the LDS people say, well, if Moses spoke to God face-to-face, well, then it's only natural that uh, Joseph Smith could speak to him face-to-face. But if you see the very end of the chapter in 33, Moses asked to see his glory, and God says he'd put him in the cleft of the rock and cover him with his hand, and then he'd let his back parts uh, pass. Before him, and then he said, "But my face uh, which the LDS
0: uses as evidence that God is has a body of flesh and bone, if he has back parts, then obviously
1: he's got <laughs> <the body. laughs> yeah, he just saw his train of glory, but how I do just you answer that to say that, uh, that the Bible reproves the fact that Joseph Smith never saw the father it it clearly reproves that we just gave them four verses of scripture Now if you just pull one verse out, you could say, hey you're just using that verse." Yeah. Uh, one verse to uh, to reprove a doctrine, but we just gave four solid verses that show that you cannot see God at any time.
0: Excellent, I- Michael. Hey, hey, Michael. Uh, tune in. We're gonna get to maybe next week, but probably the following on the first vision, and we're gonna go through what he actually says he saw over through the different versions, and it's not as clear cut as the, the as they teach
1: in the LDS Church. Okay, but I just want to say one thing real real quickly. Um, You know, the whole matter, the whole matter of of Mormonism, the whole matter that makes it almost, um, it it almost makes it um, just a waste of time to even talk to anybody about doctrine. If you do not acknowledge that the Bible is the final authority, then there's really no point in talking to anybody. The whole matter boils down to the fact that, Uh, God's Word was written in a span of 1,600 years by roughly 40 authors in, like, four different continents. And all of these books are in perfect harmony. There's, like, 333 specific detailed prophecies concerning Jesus, where he was born, how many pieces of silver he would be betrayed for, how he was uh, crucified, everything. All of these specific detailed prophecies. Michael. Michael. Yeah.
0: You are on fire, man. You need to have a television show. You need to get out there on the street. I got to
1: keep it moving, though, brother. All the time and, and share this. I go on the street all the time and share keep this. Keep doing
0: it, brother. Okay. All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Bye bye. That was great. He's just uh, all the time. They're going to go and get him. And, oh, my gosh. Hey, listen, I want to tell you something. Um, when the Bible says no man has seen God at any time, John 1, 18, and then Exodus says you, you're not going to see God, and, and John 1 John says no one's going to see God, but Jesus represents God, you have to take that seriously. And if there's other parts of the Bible where the Jews are using uh, anthropomorphic anthropomorphical terms to, destru- to describe God that doesn't mean that God has these body parts and things and that man has seen God it's just their way, it's a literary device to help people explain what they're feeling and thinking when they're writing these revelations you can't take those things and say they supersede over no man has seen God at any time and the LDS will do that at times when they're trying to prove Joseph Smith's first vision Okay, uh, Charles, first time caller online too. 2 Charles, you're on Heart of the Matter
2: Hi, um, Sean. I'd like some clear. I'd like some clarification on the 89th section, um, where, uh, if God had given the 89th section not by commandment, how it evolved into to being a a commandment, um, and how come God's word was changed? Yeah. If God was the final authority, and that shouldn't that have stayed the way it was?
0: You'd think. We're going to talk about the 89th section of the Doctrine and Covenants. I want the audience to know that is what they call the word of wisdom. And what this caller, Charles, is referring to is that at the beginning of of the revelation, Joseph said it's not by way of commandment it's by way of good advice, I'm paraphrasing here, it's just good advice for you and that you shouldn't uh, take uh, tobacco and you shouldn't drink hard drinks and uh, all these different things. And he's asking, well, what's happened to that? You know, at first it started off, it's, it's not a commandment, and now you can't go into an LDS temple if you don't obey it, and what happened? And we're going to look at the history of that and how the uh, Word of Wisdom evolved, how many of the early fathers drank and smoked, and how, how just the LDS church, if it will help you at all, is they evolve by virtue of need. You know? And as things start happening and they see a need for it, their doctrine is going to take a shift. And it's not going to stand on concrete. It's not going to be set in concrete. It's going to shift a little bit and focus a little different way. And by, that, by doing that, they've survived. You know, they haven't fallen off. They've been able to survive. They mutate just like any great science fiction creature mutates with its environment and is able to kind of become what's around it. Now, when polygamy was, uh, uh, when the manifesto in 1890 first came out, I believe that uh, the Word of Wisdom began to take stronger effect. And I think that happened because polygamy kept Mormonism separate from the world. Well, when polygamy was done away with, and in practice, 1910 or so, then what happened was they had to be separate in another way. And what would that be? We don't drink coffee, we don't drink tea, we don't drink um, tobacco, or... uh, we don't smoke uh, hard alcohol. I mean, all those things are part of the Word of Wisdom. And then you look at the the that Diet Coke thing. That's a whole cultural thing that go- ties back to a statement by Brigham Young, not to take uh, uh, things that excite your body, but just to take more rest and feel better for the day. And they took that and they include it now almost tacitly in the Book of Mormon as being part of it. You know, so there's a lot of this. Um, molding that goes on and um, we'll talk about that more as we get into Doctrine and Covenants section 89. Plus they talk about the food the dietary laws in the Doctrine and Covenants 89 about eating meat sparingly and the kind of grains and fruits and vegetables you should be eating and you know go to any any uh, In-N-Out Burger or Wendy's and you got Mormon City not obeying the word of wisdom. So you got that whole side to look at too.
2: Hey I appreciate you giving me your time. Thanks so
0: much. Thanks for your call, Charles. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. We're going to Karen, first-time caller in Ogden. Karen, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Hi. Hi. This is my first time watching and calling. Wow. Hey, are you familiar with the Adam-God doctrine?
0: Yeah. I am. No,
3: you're
0: not? I am. Yes.
3: So uh, my question is, how come the modern-day LDS is not familiar with it?
0: It's one of those doctrines that they stopped talking about. They probably realized was superfluous, probably realized caused more trouble than anything else. Brigham Young said a number of things that were just really out there at times. And, you know, a modern day prophet, living prophet, trumps a dead one in the Mormon church. And they can go back and say, in fact, I want to tell you something that's a quote. Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel sat down in a meeting and he met with... um, one of the LDS apostles and Chuck Smith opened up the Adam God doctrine and he read part of it to uh, the apostle who was uh, Jeffrey Holland and he asked him point blank, "Do the Latter Day Saints believe in this doctrine?" And Jeffrey Holland said, "No." Now that came directly from Chuck Smith's mouth to my ear when I talked to him about it. So, uh, so you can you can see that they just morph and they move along and they get rid of stuff that isn't working and. And they call that modern day revelation and uh, that, God, that God will adapt in order to bring more people to him. And that's how they justify it.
3: So how, how could I witness to a modern day person that isn't familiar with this?
0: I, I wouldn't even talk about um, Adam God doctrines. I, I, you know, I know we talk about this kind of stuff on our show, but in my personal life, when I meet Latter-day Saints, you know, I love them to death. And uh, I just, I don't talk about these things unless they really want to get into a dialogue with it. I talk about Jesus. I talk about how they can be spiritually reborn and how he steps into their life and takes over and changes them literally changes them and their heart and their life. And when they realize that I'm serious about that and that they can have that too, it opens doors to talk about him. And then if they say, well, you know, I belong to... You don't even have to talk about Mormonism. This is a television show in a predominantly Mormon area for Mormons to start thinking about the religion that they belong to. But bottom line, the thing is to get them to come to Jesus and have them experience spiritual rebirth. And frankly, if they stay Mormon for a period of time or whatever after that, we don't care. Get them to know the Lord, and that should be your mission as somebody who's reaching out to them. Great. Does that help? Yes,
3: thank you very much. All right, Karen, take care. Bye-bye.
0: God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Jeremy, first-time caller from Dreper. Jeremy. Yeah. You're on Harlem Matter.
5: Well, thank you. I, um, I just wanted to encourage you. I'm a born-again Christian. Awesome. But we've moved out here um, about two years ago, and I've worked at a couple of different places, and one of the guys that I've worked with was challenged in his uh, belief system as a LDS uh, uh, a member, and him and his wife have watched your show and really been touched, and I wanted to thank you for all the hard work that you do put into the program and that awesome. you do put into your your walk with God to lead you in this program, and I just wanted to say uh, I thank you and, and to all the LDS people that Maybe listening right now, that as a, a born again Christian, we love you and, and we care for you and we care about what God is doing in your life and what God is trying to do in your life. And, and I just wanted to call and say thanks.
0: Oh, thanks so much, Jerry. That was very kind of you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Keep the good work. I bless you too. All right, bye bye. You know, I want you to know that uh, when I went to my very first Christian meeting after I became born again, and um, and it was a large meeting, and I went and I heard. Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, I sat down in that meeting and they started singing their praises to God. And my heart literally said, looked around and I just wished that I could have all my ex-Elders Quorum buddies in there and the bishops and their wives and their children in there praising God, lifting their hands to Him, turning their lives and everything to Him instead of sitting in sacrament meeting, here, honey, color this, and they're talking about obeying the Sabbath day, and it's just such a different world, and you can have that world, you can have that relationship over religion, and our hearts are for that, and please don't think that our hearts are to destroy you. Um, I love the Mormon people, and I wouldn't do it if I didn't. I know I have a lot of anger that comes out sometimes, but uh, that's just me as a donkey. Okay, let's go to Robert. Robert, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, Robert. How are you?
4: Good. And I get, a couple callers ago, uh, someone talked about witchcraft or, or what with the Mormon religion. I just had a question about all the pentagrams around the Mormon temple and the points within the circle. Those are pretty uh, witchcraft stuff. and.
2: Uh, What's, yeah, what's all over the place? they
0: were they were Masonic symbols. Symbols, man, my language is bad tonight. They were Masonic symbols well before they became the five uh, pointed star of Satanism. Anton LaVey and uh, what's that other guy's name? Crowley. They popularized the 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 pentagram and stuff, and it has some significance dating back, but. But masonry made the, the five-pointed star much more part of their culture than anybody else prior. And uh, so when you see those on the LDS temples, those are a response uh, to the Masonic influence on Mormonism and not the Satanist influence on Mormonism. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Does that help? Yeah, thank you very much. All right, man, take care. All right, you too. God bless All right, God bless you. We're going to Sandra, line one on Heart of the Matter. Sandra.
3: I- and i want to ask them about sandra Feel they're so spiritual they
0: have all the spiritual oh hold on they we have a we have a technical cool. malfunction here kids so we're going to wait for that to clear up i don't have it on my uh prompt so uh what else do we have here okay sandra's on line four sandra you're on heart of the matter hi
3: uh scott actually my name is
0: sandra hi sandra hi, and I'm sure. Hey,
3: listen, I just wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you. You're doing a great job. If I win the lottery, I'm going to donate a whole bunch of money to your cause.
0: Oh, well, <laughs> by all means, play that lottery. I'm kidding. That's a joke. Yeah. All right, I'm go sorry, ahead. Was I was joking. Go ahead.
3: Okay. Um, I wanted to share with you, um, because I was uh, kind of raised Mormon. My grandmother and my great-grandmother were Mormons, and uh, as it was trickled down to me, I never felt right about Mormonism and I never really understood why so I just didn't go and then I got introduced to the real Jesus and found out he needed to be really warm welcoming and loving what I wanted to share with you though is when I asked my pastor what it what was it about the Mormons that I couldn't figure out um, he bottom lined it for me and said well for one thing um, Jesus or Mormons believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers and uh, I like what and 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 I just, it, it blew me away. So what happened to me is one day I asked God to explain to me more what was going on, and he led me to a, a Christian bookstore. And right there on the counter uh, was two books. One was called Mormons Answered Verse by Verse, and the second one was called No Regrets, How I Escaped Mormonism. And I read the, la- the latter book, and I would say it was for the Mormons who were baptized without really knowing what they were getting into, a good book to read that would explain how one woman moved from Alabama and was already Baptist and moved to Arizona and got caught up in Mormonism, and some of the incredible things that they went through and just were totally against what it taught in the Bible. Yeah. Um.
0: So So you recommend those two books?
3: Have you ever heard of them? Yeah, sure, uh, I would recommend them. Okay. I'm sorry I don't know the name of the authors. That's okay. But Readers but, uh, can find it. I highly recommend it because it really, because what you were just talking about was, like you said, full of a lot of detail that a lot of these littler people in the church probably wouldn't even bother to ever get into their entire lives.
0: Sandra, it's a great call. Yes. We really appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, I want you to know uh, really quickly, I sat across uh, from a guy today who was LDS, and he had the sweetest, he had the sweetest heart. And he was a good guy, and uh, you know I, I know doctrinally they are really far off. If you look at all of our shows from last year, you know I don't, uh, you know, I can't even think of a word to describe it. But I don't soft sell it. I understand the doctrinal differences. But the people, there is a difference between Mormonism and Mormons. And we have to remember that when we are reaching out to them. That there are many of them who seek to have the love of Jesus in their hearts. There are uh, bishops I heard about today who are talking about Jesus from the pulpit. Talking about the cross from the pulpit. In this valley, things are happening. But we have to love like Jesus loved. And we can't constantly go to those things that really make them unique Jesus will change that stuff in time. So let's try to remember that. Let's go to Alan, uh, second-time caller. Alan, you're on Heart of the Matter.
6: Yes, a couple of quick questions uh, about change in Scripture. Um, I believe if uh, if it's wrong for the Mormons, it's wrong for the Bible prophets. There's one in uh, Jeremiah, chapter 36, where in the last verse, it's uh, the punchline where he, punchline. he changes a revelation and adds to it. Um, Jeremiah thirty six. Yeah, chapter thirty six, and I'm gonna I'm okay. gonna let you look that up, and then also okay. a, a change of heart. You were saying earlier it's not in the Bible. It's full of the Bible's full of that statement. That's uh, not true. Uh, uh, full of statements to that effect.
0: To that uh, effect.
6: Change my uh, my heart. Change of from, heart.
0: Mighty change of heart is not in the Bible anywhere. Let
6: me finish. A change uh, from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Uh, uh, and but uh, that's change, not what I said. Pardon?
0: That's not what I said.
6: Well, I'm, I'm clarifying. Uh, it, it sounded like you were generalizing. Anyway, this scripture in uh, section 36, you may want to comment on it. Last time I called, you hung up on me, so I'm going to say goodbye first. And then you can comment on it, okay?
0: Okay, wait. Sec- and, uh, you said section 36. You mean Jeremiah 36? Uh-huh, chapter okay, 36. I'm, I'm not going to comment on it now because I don't know it. Okay. But I'll check it out, and next week, Alan, I will answer it at the opening of our remarks. Well, oh, thank
6: you, and, and thanks for not hanging up on me again.
0: Okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, Alan. Don't get mad. It's a total joke. Okay. Uh, let's go to Cragen. First time caller, line three. Cragen, you're on Heart of the Matter.
5: Hi. How are you, Sean?
0: I'm doing well. How are you?
5: I'm good. Thanks. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, First time caller. Okay. And uh, I, I guess I'm kind of at a crossroads. Seven years ago, I um, was a member of the church. I was married to um, an active member. I went on the mission, Uh married in the temple. um, You know, did all the things that I guess hardcore Mormon, card-carrying Mormons do. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) I guess after my divorce, I just i i became inactive. And even when I was on my mission, there were periods of time where I I thought to myself, "Wait a minute." All of the millions of people, billions of people all over the planet, all of their hopes, their desires, their dreams, their passions, through the eye of one needle, one little religious needle. Even when I was on my mission, I kind of thought, that's so weird. And I guess, you know, now you're away from the church. I'm away from the church. I've gone back, except my kids still go. With their mom, and that's great. So I have reasons to go every once in a while, and I guess I miss certain cultural aspects of it. But sure. just trying to get down, I guess, to my point here, and I'm sorry to drag it out. Um, now that I've kind of stripped away all of the culture, and I'm not reading the Book of Mormon, and I'm not sitting handing you know Ziploc bags of Cheerios over to kids on the you right. know in the in sacrament meeting, and I'm just away from it all. You know, I miss, I guess, certain aspects of it, like just the purity of Christ and 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 that message, which is something that has always rang true to me. Mm-hmm. Um, even in studying the Bible, though, I was always kind of bothered by that um, in my limited amount of understanding, because it seems, you know, like there's always a everybody has a different take on it, a different take on the birth, a different take on sure. the resurrection, and and the crucifixion and
0: Craigen, yeah, we're we're uh, winding it down on minutes. I'd, I hate to cut this off because you you have uh, some heartfelt things to say. But let me ask you one question: Have you been born
5: again? Um, I guess if you uh,
0: you, you don't know, have I, to you I, don't have I, to say any.
5: I still believe in Christ as the Son of God.
0: Okay, Craigen, uh, stay on the line. We're going to end the show, but stay on the line for a minute. I'll talk to you afterward about some things to consider. Uh, whether you go back to the LDS church or whatever, but I want you to consider a couple of things that are going to help you with uh, your heart relative to all these questions about interpretation. and. Sure. And all. So hold on, will you? I will. It's going to be about uh, two minutes.
5: Great, thank you. Okay.
0: We're going to Mara, first-time caller. Mara, uh, you have, I'm sorry, you have one minute. Okay, I'll be
3: right
0: there. <laughs> Coming over? <laughs> Mara, you're on, yeah. the, you're on the air.
3: Yes, thank you. Okay. You
0: have one minute.
3: Okay. Uh, my question has to do with a friend of mine who is LDS. We were getting into a discussion, and her question to me was, what about eternal families? I didn't know what to say, but then I was reading my Bible, and in Luke 8.21, Jesus replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Amen. Do you think that that is a sufficient
0: response? Yeah. And I think also Jesus saying they're in heaven, they're not uh, given in marriage. I think that they're, uh, I, I always put it this way to Latter day Saints when it comes to eternal families. We trust God so much that if family units, like they have on earth are what he wants, he'll have us in those. And if that's not what he wants, he's going to know better than we will what what state we should exist in then. And we're not going to second-guess it. He hasn't commented on it in the Bible. We're not going to second-guess it except for what Jesus has said. We have literally 30 seconds left. I have to let you go, but it's a good question. Thank you. Thanks, Goodbye. Mara. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight, uh, www.bornagainmormon.com. If you have further comments, questions, want to get the book, want to uh, see other uh, shows. Also, Monday nights at 9.30, The Infallible Word. Uh, Friday nights at 8.30, The Infallible Word. And you can hear uh, for the Gospel of John, verse by verse taught. We hope you join us there. Until next week, God bless you. Turn your life over to the Lord. Read His Word. Worship Him. See you next week.